Come on, Maddie. Yeah, Maddie. She will want the gold. Here comes Maddie Bowman, the 20-year-old double X Games champion. Can she add the Olympics to that collection? Maddie Bowman's from Lake Tahoe. This was her final run at the Sochi 2014 Winter Olympics. There's the 900. And then a nicely executed five. This was six years ago, and ski halfpipe had just debuted as an Olympic sport. Oh, the switch seven to finish it off. She is a really strong halfpipe skier, Maddie Bowman. The judges score halfpipe on takeoff, the height of a boarder's jumps, landing, and the difficulty of tricks. What's the score going to be for Maddie Bowman? 89. That extends her advantage up at the top with only two skiers to come. Great run. Maddie ended up taking home the gold. American Maddie Bowman, the first Olympic champion in ladies' ski halfpipe. I met Maddie at her house near South Lake Tahoe. She's 25 now, and because of that gold medal, she's a hometown hero. I have two dogs. You're gonna see my mismatched dogs. <laughs> it's okay, take me down. Want any coffee or anything? Sure, coffee would be awesome. Cool. Now that we have coffee, we can talk. Maddie moved home two years ago from Utah. My family is here, you know, my heart is here. I love Tahoe. So it's a sacrifice I have to make for sure. It's a sacrifice because soon, her sport may no longer exist. Our sport is dying. The climate is a huge part. Chasing the snow is a huge part, which is sad. I mean, to have poured my whole career into this and to have an Olympic medal from it and being like, I don't know if there will in 40 years be an Olympic medal in ski halfpipe because it could just be gone. So let's get this straight. Halfpipe skiing just became an Olympic sport. But warming temperatures could end that because snow is changing in places like Tahoe. Maddie says it's rarely cold long enough to build half pipes anymore here. I have to travel all season, every season. So my time training my profession is so limited that I feel like I'm not progressing. It's not just her sport and profession that Maddie might lose. Her family lives in Tahoe and their livelihoods are on the line. It's hard to watch your parents lose their job a month early because there's no more snow. And it's hard, you know, my brother was a ski coach and the mountain closed early and, you know, he was out so much money. So your immediate family's affected too? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the whole community is affected. But Maddie's committed to stay. She's sponsored by a local ski resort called Sierra at Tahoe. Okay, so in the skiing world, two positions for your skis. You have your french fry and your pizza. Maddie's teaching me how to ski, and I have to admit, this was my first time skiing. We're on the bunny hill. Good, good. Right leg. Woo! Lincoln turn. Good job. Left leg. Ah! Oh, nice. Good save. I almost good died. Save. It's this kind of fun that Maddie wants to keep around Dude, in Tahoe. You're killing it. Good job. But she's also about doing serious work. Maddie volunteers with the advocacy group Protect Our Winters. Boarders and skiers around the world are worried that not enough is being done to stop climate change. Maddie takes the group's message to schools. Just talking about how they've seen their parents' jobs affected by either too much snow or 
too little snow and how it would be nice to have that constant in between that we can rely on. My message is I want you to recognize what's happening with climate change in your community, how it's affecting your community. And then I want you to speak up about it. That's what this episode is all about. People like Maddie, who are taking a stand and talking about the real impacts of climate change in their hometowns. And scientists who are tracking the impacts. Because what's really on the line is Tahoe's identity as a winter wonderland. These aren't just theories anymore. I don't want the snow to go away. Yes, Tahoe will change. I kind of feel like that endangered pika. Tahoe doesn't control climate change. It's a victim of it. From Capital Public Radio, this is Tahoe Land. Had always snowed by the third weekend in September, but that doesn't happen anymore. I want to see our forest restored so that Tahoe doesn't burn the way Paradise did. Chasing the snow is a huge part. It's about the lake, that's why everyone's here. There are a lot of green lakes, there aren't very many blue ones. I'm Ezra David Romero. Millions of people travel to Tahoe for the snow, and more than a dozen ski resorts are around the lake. Plus, the Winter Olympics were held here in 1960. This year, there was so much snow, it was a boom year, but that isn't always the case. In the past decade, Tahoe witnessed a terrible drought with the smallest snowpack ever. That was a bust year. Scientists say these extreme fluctuations in weather are getting worse, and they predict that they will become even more drastic. It's something Tahoe cannot escape. And my question is this, will millions of tourists still visit Tahoe in the winter a generation from now? Welcome to Tahoe Land. It's not just Tahoe that's dealing with disappearing snow. Winter destinations around the globe are grappling with it. The Europeans, the Alps, um, they're facing the same thing. Daniel Scott runs a Master's of Climate Change program at the University of Waterloo in Canada. They had a really heavy snowfall this year to the point where it was almost too much in some areas. But they've had several years in the last decade to 15 years where they've had almost no capacity to even make the snow. Daniel studies climate change in ski communities because he wants to give leaders a heads up. You may have to adapt to climate change through the loss of Tahoe's 14 ski areas. Maybe they lose five. Maybe they lose them all. We don't know. But that's something Tahoe as a community would have to adapt to. He also looked at how warming temperatures could reshape the Winter Olympics. In around three decades, Daniel says more than half of the places that hosted past Olympics will be too warm to host again. Places like Oslo, Norway, Chamonix, France, and Sochi, Russia. And what we found is under the high emission scenarios, you know, more than half of the past host countries or host communities couldn't host the games in the same way, even by sort of mid 2050s Tahoe's one of those places. Daniel says it's just not cold enough. The Olympics will have to evolve a little bit over time and that they'll have to look at either multi-country or sort of regional uh, hosts rather than just the United States hosts. It's maybe it's Canada and the United States hosts it and the skiing's in one place and the indoor, the hockey and all the other stuff is somewhere else.
these changes in snow are inevitable, according to scientists, who are predicting a grim future for Tahoe's snowpack. It's something we can't stop because it's a symptom of global greenhouse gas emissions. As long as the world doesn't get a grip on how much carbon it emits, Tahoe will suffer. For the region, it's a huge bummer because so much of the economy is based on snow. There's a whole lot of scientists studying these projections. Okay, one, two. Let's meet Jeff Anderson. Got it. Yep, that's the dirt. That was 154 inches deep. Jeff measures the snowpack on the Nevada side of the lake for the federal government. He can't project what the future will look like, but he records data. You know, the boom or bust kind of winters? Tahoe's always had those. You look at those long hundred and, you know, we're almost up to 110 years of snow records, and you just see that. The boom and bust is the normal. This year was a boom year. It snowed so much that highways shut down multiple times. And Jeff says it's hard to project what's going to happen every year. The booms are, you know, they're getting bigger in 2017 and 2019, and the, and the busts from 2012 to 2015 are getting drier. So it's hard for me to project what's going to happen, but it seems like right now we're seeing the variability just increasing. Okay, some of you in Tahoe are probably like Ezra. This tug of war between drought and wet years is normal here. But climate scientists say this flip-flopping is actually getting worse. Ben Hatchett and Dan McAvoy are two of those scientists. Hey guys. Hey. How's it going? Good. I went snowshoeing and skiing with them at Donner Pass off Highway 80 north of Lake Tahoe. Everything was covered in white. Meet Ben. This was literally our little playground. We'd have our parents just drop us off and put on the snowshoes and put the snowboard on your back and hike up and ride those runs and imagine you're in some of the you know, pro movies and thinking you're in Alaska and, yeah. and you're actually still in a place that's just about as equivalently awesome. Ben and Dan study snow droughts for the Desert Research Institute in Reno. They're also part of the Western Regional Climate Center. Here's Dan. So in the simplest way, a snow drought is just um, a lack of snow when there should be snow on the ground. They've realized a couple of things. The actual line where snow begins to stick to the ground is moving higher and higher up the mountain, at as many as 200 feet a year in Tahoe. That's a huge increase. Ben says to think of it like stacking a deck of cards. Snow levels will continue to rise if we're getting more and more of our precipitation from these potentially warmer events. It's like adding a few queens if the queen is the, the warm, wet storm. The jack may be the really cold storm. You pull out a couple jacks and stick in a couple queens. So you sort of stack the deck or change the odds towards warmer types of storms. Okay, here's what we know so far. The snowpack in Tahoe is disappearing, and fast, and this means places we love to ski and shred and hang out could be gone in a generation. Don't believe it? Let's talk to our data reporter, Emily Zentner, about this. Hey, Emily. Hey, Ezra. So get out your crystal ball, put your fortune teller (laughs) costume on, and tell me, what are we seeing in Tahoe's future? Well, it's a little bit more scientific than that, Ezra. I'm sorry to say, but you and I won't be as playful as we've been talking about shrimp and secchi depth. And that's because this episode is definitely a darker one. The snow situation in Tahoe is really dire. Yeah, that's true. We're going to be a couple of bummers this time around. And Emily's is here to sort of crush my dreams again, per usual. Emily, you've been looking at some research by Jeff Schlado and Robert Coates from the UC Davis Tahoe Environmental Research Center. What are they projecting? 
They've looked at how much water could fall as rain rather than snow in the next century, and under a more severe carbon emissions scenario, the Lake Tahoe Basin could regularly be seeing less than a quarter of its precipitation coming as snow by the end of the 21st century. And that's for the whole Lake Tahoe Basin. There, elevations span from lake level all the way up to above 10,000 feet. Lake level is about 6,200 feet elevation, so places like Tahoe City that sit at lake level could see an even more drastic drop in how much precipitation falls as snow. So what's the norm when it comes to Lake Tahoe and snow? Right now, it's normal to see anywhere from 40 to 50 percent of the precipitation in the basin falling as snow. And these are plausible projections, so they're not super exact because this is based on climate modeling rather than on recorded snow data. So it'll be in the range of these measurements by Jeff and Robert's calculations. So you're saying the percent of precipitation coming as snow could be cut in half by the end of the century. That sounds drastic. It is drastic, and it's definitely possible. For people who live and spend time in the Sierra, this is something that we've seen with our own eyes. Where I grew up, I can remember years and years ago having to wade through snow that came out to my hip to get up my road. Now, the town I grew up in only gets sprinklings of snow a few times a winter. And this is definitely the more severe scenario, but it's a possibility. And this isn't a change that we can really stop at this point. Even under a less severe emissions scenario where we stabilize emissions at the level they're at now, the percent of snow falling versus rain is still going to go down. So that Tahoe snowpack is essential to the fresh water for the region, like Nevada and California. Does this create like a storage issue for water? It does. Snow is phenomenally easy to store because it accumulates on its own and then it slowly melts and that provides fresh water throughout the year. The estimate is that hundreds of thousands of people rely on the Tahoe snowpack for water. So they're going to have to come up with a new way to store and harness that water and it won't be cheap. What's the timeline for all of this? How fast is this going to change? It's hard to say because weather goes up and down so much from year to year. And the loss of snow actually plays into this vicious climate cycle known as the snow albedo feedback. Wait, what is snow albedo? Explain that. (laughs) So snow albedo is super fascinating, but also terrifying. Snow and ice actually are reflective. And so they bounce some of the sun's energy back into space. And that helps keep the earth cooler. So as we have less snow, it actually makes the climate warmer because the Earth is absorbing that energy instead. Yeah, that's related to why the polar ice caps are melting and why that's a big deal for global climate change and sea level rise and other things like that. Yeah, it is. So if people want to learn about the effect this is having, where can they find more? You can head to capradio.org slash Tahoelandsnow, and there you'll find an article with some great graphics to help you make sense of it all and show you the wide effects that this is having. Thanks for joining me, Emily. Thanks, Ezra. What happens when you own a business like a ski resort or a sleigh ride company and there's going to be significantly less snow? That's exactly what both big companies and -and mom-and-pop enterprises are figuring out in Tahoe. Here we go, on the tram. Heavenly. Heavenly is one of Tahoe's most popular ski resorts. To me, it has always felt synonymous with South Lake Tahoe. On a sunny day like this, the views of the lake from this lift, right? It doesn't get any better. Mike Gore is the vice president for the Tahoe region of Vail Resorts. That's the company that runs Heavenly. Big companies like Vail, or even Squaw Valley on the north side of the lake, can afford to cope through the swings in weather, at least for now. We can make snow in more marginal temperatures. 
we use less energy than ever per snow gun. But there's an issue. The number of days it's cold enough to make snow are limited and are expected to decrease. This goes back to what Emily talked about earlier, snow albedo. Vail has gone as far as promising to buy all of its energy for its 18 resorts from wind and solar sources by 2020. And Mike says that's enough to power 33,000 homes. But it's not that easy for smaller resorts with less funds, like Sierra at Tahoe. So it's really, I think, going to take a few years of a drastic pattern of drought and really hurting the resort to make us make that switch. Sarah Sherman runs the resort's communications. It's hard coming off a year with our snowiest month ever to say, hey, we need to beef up our snowmaking. She says Sierra at Tahoe is more of a locals resort without the dollars to invest in making snow or other changes. So you almost have to feel the pain a bit more. Yeah, because, you know, with that varied weather and more drastic winters versus, you know, heavy snowfall, not a lot of snowfall, we're still really getting those big years still. Now let's talk about Borges' sleigh and carriage rides in South Lake Tahoe. It's a legacy mom-and-pop-style business that's directly feeling the pain of climate change. Giddy up, giddy up. Let's go. Dwight Borges runs the family operation. You can find him leading sleigh rides next to the casinos in South Lake. And away we go. His parents started the business after they won a pony in a raffle at a local car dealership. They named him Little Joe. Today, they use Belgian draft horses. My parents started in 1968. For the first few years, it was amazing snow every year. Then during the middle 70s, drought. Like, there seems to be this, uh, this cycle. And what Dwight means is that these years of drought and then really wet winters are becoming more frequent. And all of this cuts into his bottom line. Whoa, dude, take a break. Climate change is uh, snow levels being higher. So uh, we normally would have uh, snow levels would be well below lake level. And over the last 20 years or so, I have seen when we do get the storms coming through, the snow levels has risen. We still get the precipitation coming in, but the precipitation, instead of being in the form of snow, would be in the form of rain. And he says the worst part is that the rain shuts his business down. Last year, we were open zero days out here because there wasn't enough snow. There has to be a minimum amount of snow for us to operate, and it has to be frozen. Last year, we were not able to operate because of the warm temperatures. But Dwight has a trick up his sleeve. He's adapting. When there's not enough snow, he hooks his 2,000-pound horses up to carriages. I've been here in Lake Tahoe for 50 years, and I've seen the changes go on. There's going to be more people. It's a beautiful place. How can you tell? try to stop people from coming out and enjoying this? The beautiful lake, the mountains, the snow, the trees. It's an amazing place on the whole planet. Our first two episodes of Tahoe Land were all about the lake and what's being done to adapt to prevent the nasty effects of climate change. But what's different with snow is that it's a crisis we can't control. For any real change to happen, the world will have to reduce its emissions. In the meantime, Tahoe will just have to deal with it because snow is going to change and its winter identity is in limbo. It's like what the forest worker says during our intro of the podcast. Tahoe doesn't control climate change. It's a victim of it. We've talked about how climate change impacts people. But in our next episode... 
we're going to explore what locals and visitors discuss possibly more than anything here. My cousin came up one time and she's taken a walk down right just a half a block down the street and the, the bear is walking right alongside them. And then my other cousin was took a run along the shoreline, the pedestrian trail, and uh, she ran into a mother and cub. And then there was a little teenage bear that went up came out on the deck here and the dogs came and chased him up the tree here right in front of the kitchen window. Next week, it's all about bears. Don't forget to stick around after the credits for our Tahoe tidbit. Tahoe Land is edited by Nick Miller. Sally Schilling is our podcast producer. Our digital editor is Chris Hagen. Emily Zentner is Tahoe Land's data reporter. Casey Sycamore is collecting your questions about Tahoe and answering them. Our website is built by Renee Thompson, Veronica Nagy, and Katie Kidwell. Linnea Edmire is the executive editor. Joe Barr is our chief content officer. And our associate producer is Gabriela Fernandez. Our music is by artist Charles I. He's from Tahoe. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Check out our website, capradio.org slash Tahoeland, for videos, photos, additional stories, and more. I'm Ezra David Romero. Thanks for listening to Tahoeland from Capital Public Radio. What you just heard was the sound of a skier charging down the mountain at Squaw Valley Resort and then skimming across a pond about 70 feet long. This year pulled it off, all while being dressed as Fred Flintstone, eating out of a box of Fruity Pebbles. I'm Sally Schilling, and I help produce Tahoe Land. For this Tahoe tidbit, we're going to look at Cushing Crossing. This annual event is a tradition. Hundreds of people gather around a pond at the bottom of the mountain, and they watch skiers in goofy outfits shoot down the hill and try to skim all the way across. Doing it without trying to do any tricks isn't that difficult. When you start adding tricks, though, it becomes much more difficult very quickly. That's former Olympic skier Barry Teese. He helped organize the very first event 29 years ago after watching Ski Patrol cross the pond. Last year, Barry attempted it with quite an elaborate setup. So I came up with this idea, wow, if I had you know, an electric guitar hooked up to this thing, and I had a wireless hook up to the electric guitar. How cool would that be if I could, you know, go across and have the electric guitar playing through my amplifier? And, you know, while I was doing this, done. Barry came skiing down at about 40 miles an hour, and when he hit the water, he crashed. Some guy was yelling, get the guitar, get the guitar. And I was like, screw the guitar, man, get me, you know. <laughs> Squaw is going to be building a new gondola to connect to Alpine Ski Resort. There were concerns this new gondola terminal would be built over Lake Cushing. But I checked with Squaw, and that's not going to happen. This year marked the 29th annual Cushing Crossing, which comes at the end of every ski season. Jean Hagen founded the event with Barry, and she says it's all about having fun and celebrating. But it's also bittersweet for the people who moved up there to work and live in Tahoe for that ski season. It's more than just the end of the ski season. People are leaving. People are moving out of their ski rentals. People are, you know, going back to their normal life. And this event has become part of that, you know, celebration of the end of the year. But this tradition doesn't happen on the same day every year. It's totally related to what's 
what the mountain is giving us. It's never going to be, oh, the Christian classic always happens on the first week of May. Some years they've held it as early as Easter. Several years ago, they held it really late on the 4th of July. This spring, Barry decided to give it one more go with the guitar and everything. And this time, he nailed it and won the competition. The feeling this year of winning it outright was was very good. And being 55 years old and competing against guys that were half my age and beating them, there was a lot of satisfaction in it. I was very happy. For Tahoe Land, I'm Sally Schilling.